Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. What do you do when you don't know what to do anymore? Happens to the small business owner who's struggling to make ends meet. I mean, he spent time uh, going over all the calculations and trying to figure out ways to make adjustments. He's reduced costs to be more competitive. He's spent more on advertising to capture more market share. He spent money on consultants. He's spent uh, incredible resources trying to retrain the staff. He's worked with his banker to refinance and make bigger purchases to increase their efficiency. But at the end of each month, the balance sheet reads like a doctor telling him how many months the business has left to live. What do you do when you don't know what to do anymore? It happens to the parents who have a kid. They remember how joyful and happy and full of life he was, but now he's plagued with indescribable mood swings. Uh, Maybe Maybe he's just not getting enough sleep and so they increase the bedtime. Maybe he's not getting quality enough sleep so they spend money on a new mattress. Maybe uh, it's his friends and so they put him in different environments. Maybe it's not him, it's us. And so they decide to spend more quality time with him with dad and son events and mom and son dates. But that doesn't work. Maybe they just aren't spiritual enough, so they read their Bible more, they go to church more, they pray more, but the problem persists. Eventually, they decide to go to a doctor, and eventually, they decide to try some medication, but that medication doesn't work, so they try different medications. And each day, as they hear his steps or his feet hit the steps, as he comes down the stairs, they hope against hope that this day will be different, only for him to turn the corner and their fears to be realized. What do you do when you don't know what to do anymore? What do you do when you don't know what to believe anymore? I don't know about you, but Sometimes I can feel like I am a really small cog in a gigantic machine. Like right now, whatever it is you think and whatever it is you believe, there is an entire media and political apparatus designed to confirm that you are right, that everybody else is wrong, and they're idiots, right? What do you do when you don't know what to believe anymore? Uh, For instance, take COVID-19. If you think that uh, COVID-19 was a complete overreaction, there are plenty of news networks, social media influencers, statistics, and doctors to completely support your case and to tell you that everybody else is an idiot. And why? And if you are in the camp where you think that COVID-19, the worst is yet to come, and we haven't done nearly enough. Guess what? 
You have news networks, doctors, social media influencers, statistics to tell you you're right, why you're right, everybody else is wrong, and they're idiots. What do you do? Strong opinions on Trump, strong opinions on Republicans, strong opinions on Democrats, and there is an entire apparatus designed to confirm your worst fears, help you create new ones, and rationalize your frustration. What do you, what do, you do? We don't have to believe anymore. Not only do we not maybe know what to do, believe anymore, we don't know how to behave anymore. Because what is acceptable behavior today might not be acceptable behavior tomorrow. What do you post? What do you say publicly? Kevin Hart uh, makes some comments in a comedy uh, gig of his, and it resurfaces years later, and it keeps him from getting the, uh, to host the Oscars. And he makes his, his apology, but have you ever noticed that the outrage that people have is always at other people? It's never internally. Like we wanna crucify other people, but we definitely don't wanna crucify ourselves. Kevin Hart, I gotta see his apology. Where was the apology from the people who produced it, filmed it, edited it, sold tickets for it? How about all the people that were in the audience that laughed at it when he said it? Where's the apology from all the people who sat at home and watched it and laughed? Jimmy Fallon does a sketch on SNL 20 years ago. Not a smart move, not good. And sure, we want his apology, but where's the apology from the person who wrote the sketch? From all the actors that participated in it and the people that were in the SNL audience that watched it and laughed and all the people sitting at home. Have you ever noticed that we get really mad at everybody else and we rarely get mad at ourselves? What do you do when you don't know what to do anymore? What do you do when you don't know what to believe anymore? Second Corinthians is written by Paul to the same group of people that First Corinthians was written to. In fact, he's written multiple letters to these people. He's visited them multiple times. And the church in Corinth is a group of people who are wrestling with what to do when you don't know what to do. And what do you believe when you don't know what to believe? This is my third time preaching this sermon this weekend. I haven't liked the previous two. Full disclosure. Usually my best sermon is first service because I get the kinks out on Thursday night. I just come back and I, I, I nail it on first service. And then I spend the entire second service trying to remember what I did during first service. That's not this week. I keep, have you ever had to have a tough conversation with your wife? Guys, play this part cool. Okay, it's Father's Day, I don't want you to ruin anything. Okay, and you, you know what you wanna say in here, but what's in here has to come out here, and here's gotten you in trouble before. And as you're trying to tell her what you're thinking, you can tell by the look on her face, 
she's not taking it well. I feel like that's been this message. So at all of our locations, online, inside, .tv, help me. Deal? And let's get through this one together. What do you do when you don't know what to do anymore? And what do you believe when you don't know what to believe in anymore? Paul writes to the Corinthian church and this is what he says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. That's what we do. We wage war. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Do you wonder if maybe the reason you're so frustrated right now is because you're trying to wage a war the way the world does and you're trying to use the weapons of the world. When God says, if you wanna bring about change, if you wanna make a difference, you've gotta do it in a heavenly way with heavenly weapons. Have you tried earthly weapons? Have you tried earthly strategies? How's that working for you? Check out what these, what these weapons have. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is what we are called to do. If you wanna make a difference, if you wanna bring about change, we've gotta wage heavenly war with heavenly weapons. How do you do that? How do I access this heavenly power, this divine power? How do I grab a hold of it? How do I use it? What does it look like? When you're swimming in a world where you don't know what's truth, you look for any branch that's in the stream to hold on to. And there's some of you that need to hear this. I know, I know that there is a lot of truth or fake news on your news feed. I know there's truth and fake news on your television, but I can tell you there is only one place that has absolute truth all of the time, and it's in the Word of God. And if you are not connected to the Word of God, if you're not plugged into the Word of God, your life is being built on sinking sand. The Bible has stood the test of every major catastrophe that has ever hit mankind. God's word has been true and remains true. And so when you find yourself in a spot where you don't know what to do anymore and you don't know what to believe anymore, 
You find the Bible and you cling to it and you hold on to it because it says the way we access this heavenly power is we have to be a different kind of person. You can't wage a war the way God wants you to in your old, old self. Do any of you guys have a favorite verse in the Bible? Okay, uh, how many of you guys have like a favorite kind of ice cream? Yeah, how many of you have a favorite kid? Uh, Jennifer and I don't have a favorite kid yet. We're not ruling it out. We think there's a real possibility that there could be a winner. We're just, we're not awarding, an, uh, uh, giving an award just yet. Well, I have a favorite verse. And I didn't know that this verse existed until I was 19 years old. You've heard me say it before, but on the off chance that there's somebody here that hasn't heard it, you gotta hear this verse. And it was crazy to me that I'd never seen this verse because I spent a lot of time in the Bible in high school because I was in Bible Bowl, which is where you win competitions for dominating other people in your superior Bible knowledge. If you don't know what Bible uh, Bowl is, that means you are extremely cool in high school, okay? <laughs> okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. 16 is not my favorite part, but we gotta read 16 to get to 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, favorite verse, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We gotta, we gotta at least deal with 16 first. He says, we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view, rich, poor, connected, disenfranchised, black, white. It's not that those things don't have significance. It's not as if we're supposed to abandon those things, but we're supposed to see them from a heavenly perspective. He says, we once regarded Christ in this way. That when people saw Jesus, there's like, there's no way he can be our king because what they saw in him is not what they wanted in a king. There's no way he could be our savior because what they saw in him when they regarded him from a worldly perspective is not what they wanted in a savior. Have you ever wondered if maybe the reason you're having a hard time making a difference in this world, bringing about a change in this world is because you're still stuck regarding people from a worldly point of view. And then he says, if anybody is in Christ, they're a new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. Is there anybody at all of our locations who likes new things? That was not rhetorical. Do you like new things? Okay, let me help you. Do you like new gum? <laughs> or old gum, right? If free of charge, if I was giving away uh, cars today, 2000 Avalon, or a new car, you would pick? New, yeah. Men, this is just for you guys. I'm not asking women, because women answer this question wrong. It's the truth. Guys, do you want a brand new house? Or an old house? Women be like, oh, I love that old house, it has so much character. And you're like, it has asbestos. He'll clean it out, <laughs> right? Honey, you don't need a mask, I've spent the money on curtains, okay? He's just down there just scraping away, looking at all the mesothelioma things online. 
okay? Women can't ask him that question. They like, anyhow. Okay, we like Neil. We do. Underwear. There's not a huge market for used lingerie. Zero, right? We choose new. And here's Jesus's offer. He'll make you new. His message to the abused is he can make you new. His message to the abuser is Jesus can make abusers new. To the addict, Jesus is saying, I can make addicts new. To the hateful, he can make hateful people new. To the racist, he can make racist people new. Whatever yours is, whatever words you would use to describe yourself, or better yet, because we're not really good at seeing our flaws, the way other people would describe you if they knew who you really were, he can make you new. Maybe that's why we have such a hard time making a difference in this world, because we keep seeing people from a worldly point of view instead of seeing people for the new that Christ can do in them. How does he do this? How does he make us new? Well, it tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, put your hands together and welcome Corey and Zach to the stage, would you please? Because this is gonna be the easiest way for me to demonstrate this. So over here, I've got Corey. Corey's gonna represent Jesus because Corey's wearing Birkenstocks, okay? And over here is Zach. And Zach represents a better looking version of you. And you'll notice they are putting sticky notes all over them. And all of these sticky notes say one word, Jesus over and over and over again, because you know what Jesus has in a bountiful supply himself, right? And over here, Zach is putting sins, lying at all of our locations. If you've ever lied, raise your hand. Some of you, I'm gonna ask it again because you've now committed a lie. If you've ever lied, raise your hand, right? Yeah, those pants look great, you'll be fine, okay? Jesus takes the lying and he gives us Jesus. Okay. Gossip. Ladies. This happened Thursday night. Women get really upset, because I know how your husbands are. Oh my goodness, he did what? Yeah, never, right? Guys can't gossip because guys don't talk. <laughs> That's a... Uh-huh, okay. Gossip, have you ever known somebody? That's easier. If you know somebody who's gossiped, raise your hand. 
Okay, there you are. Okay, we should go back to the lying one, right? Jesus becomes the gossip and we get Jesus. Porn, raise your, nobody's raising their hands. I get it, I get it. We're at church, there's certain sins that are cool. They're in fashion. Other sins were like, oh, other people. Maybe just a small pinky raise, like, okay. Jesus takes the porn and we get Jesus. Um, worry. Have you ever worried? Had a hard time having faith in God and trusting he would take care of you? No, during this pandemic, you've been rock solid. Everything's fine. I haven't sold any stocks or bought a bunch of green beans in five gallon buckets. We're good. There's been no worry here. We didn't bury a septic tank in the backyard and figure out if we could live inside of it. We've been good, right? Jesus takes the worry and we get Jesus. Um, honeymoon activities before wedding. <laughs> yeah, kids are still in the room, aren't they? Okay, not good. Jesus takes this and we get, everybody help me out. Okay, um, let's do this one. Overeating at McDonald's, okay? Not a sin, stewardship, right? Check this out. Jesus gets a number one and we get Jesus. Uh, pride, I don't understand this one, but if you do, you understand it. Pared, I've never even heard of this, okay? Jesus takes my pride and what do I get? Now look what's happening. He who knew no sin is becoming sin so that in him we become the righteousness of God. We take on Jesus. Jesus is the righteousness of God. This is how he makes you new. He takes the old from you and he gives you himself. That is what is happening when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, you guys can go. Would you guys give him a quick round of applause? You tracking with me? Now this is the part of the sermon where I think I lose everybody. Because it was never supposed to stop there. Not just thankful that God did this for me, but grateful enough that I did something about it. Not just thankful for the blessing, but burdened for other people to have it. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God's redemptive plan was once you had been ministered to by Christ, you would become a minister for Christ, that we would be an ambassador 
An ambassador is a person who lives in a foreign country, different than their citizenship. But they speak on behalf of, with the authority of, with the power of, and they represent the city or the region or the country of their citizenship. Paul writes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. When we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, which means that when you talk, the way you behave, the way you act is a reflection on your heavenly citizenship and is a reflection on the kingdom of God. Can I be honest? I think some of us stink at this. Have you ever been misrepresented? Someone said or is telling somebody else what you said and you go, I didn't say that. I hate being misrepresented. Uh, like the state of Illinois. You make fun of people from Iowa. You call them idiots out wandering around. And I'm from Iowa. And my wife's family loved to poke fun at us. And just when I, you know, am getting Iowa's act together or tornado comes through and they find that one guy in a tank top with some camo boots on and his hat turned on sideways and they put a microphone in front of his face and he just starts talking, representing the whole dang state undoing all the good I've done, right? You seen that before? Iowa makes fun of Missouri. Missouri's thankful there's an Arkansas, right? My grandpa used to tell this joke. You've heard it probably, but I, it just, we need this. Yeah, you know that a toothbrush was invented in Arkansas because if it was invented anywhere else, it would have been called a toothbrush. I love that thing. It makes me happy all the time. I know, you're welcome, that's your takeaway, okay? Now, nobody likes being misrepresented. And have you ever noticed that the person that gets picked to represent all of whatever it is you are is never the person that you would pick? If you're a teacher, there's not a whole lot of articles and news programs dedicated to the awesomeness of teachers. It's when that one teacher messes up, who does something they shouldn't have done with the student, that all of a sudden now all of you are painted with the same brush. If you're in ministry, it's not, there's not blogs written about all the pastors who finish well. It's the guys who embezzled and acted inappropriately. And all of a sudden all pastors are getting painted with that guy's brush. If you're a police officer, if you're a protester, the person who they pick to represent you is rarely the person that you would have picked yourself. And that person becomes the ambassador 
for the cause. What that means is, we're not gonna get to pick who represents us to this world. We're not gonna get to do a vote. It means that all of us are gonna get picked, which is kind of fair because the world didn't get to pick which one of us was gonna show up to work. The world didn't get to pick which one of us was gonna show up at the house. But when you show up at the house, when you show up at work, when you show up at the t-ball game and you don't necessarily like the way the umpire called that particular throw as it regards to your kid and you stand up to give them some incredible words of wisdom, you represent Christ. And I wonder what would happen if you cared more about you representing Christ than representing your kid. No one's going to hell over a ball or a strike. But they might by the way you handle it. We are supposed to be his ambassadors. But when we go to be these ambassadors, we go with a word of hope. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians. That in Christ, every promise that God made for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. When I was growing up in church, I thought God's favorite word was no. How many of you thought God's favorite word was no? Can we have fun at church today? The answer was, can we run in the church? Can I wear a hat? Can we smoke? Can we drink? Can we dance? Can we play cards? Can we smile? I grew up at a church where no, the answer was no. Am I gonna enjoy being a Christian? No, you're not. That was no, check it out. God's words, yes. Every promise, every promise that God made is yes in Christ. Check this out. If you're a believer and you've been trying to be an ambassador for Jesus, but you could use some mercy when you read in your Bible, it says your mercies are new every morning. You can say, God, can I claim this promise? And God says in Christ, yes. If you're a person who's a screw up, you've messed up one time, nope, not two, maybe nope, it's not two, three, not three, four, not four, five. I mean, to be honest with you, you're wondering, is there any grace left? you can call up to heaven and you can say, God, is there still grace for me? And God's answer to you is in Christ, yes. If you feel like your sin's hanging on to you, it's right next to you, it won't leave you, you can't get any distance from it, and you find yourself reading as far as the east is from the west, how, look, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. You can call up heaven, you can say, God, is it true that you've taken my sins and directionally separated me from them? God's reply to you would be, in Christ, yes. If you're a person who feels like you're all alone, that you're trying to make a difference for Christ by yourself, 
that you're on this journey by yourself, there's no one with you, and you find yourself at the end of Matthew chapter 28, and it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. You can say, God, are you gonna be with me no matter where I go? And he will say to you in Christ, yes. You might be getting to a spot where you're going, God, there is no way you could love me. After all I've done, after how many times I've been to church, but I keep doing the same stupid stuff, is there any way you could still love me? You can call up heaven. And when you ask him, he's gonna tell you, in Christ, yes. Because we're his ambassadors, and because we have those promises, we can go out and carry the message, the founding documents, the declaration of independence for the church is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. What I'm saying is, if you wanna make a difference, if you wanna bring about change, the heavenly weapon that we have is love. A love that you and I cannot do in our old self. A love that you and I cannot do in our flesh. But it's a love that we can make a reality in Christ. And I think deep down inside, all of us are willing to make sacrifices and changes for love. But I think it's time we don't just do it individually. I think it's time we do it collectively. So would you join us? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.